All right. Isn't that encouraging, everybody? Yes. Okay. So it is good to um, see everybody today. And again, for those of you who don't know him, um, again, this was already a great introduction for Pastor Corey. He is the outreach pastor for our sister church in uh, Chantilly, Virginia, right outside of the D.C. area. And he really has pioneered and spearheaded, um, especially during the pandemic and thereafter, outreaches to serve and make a direct God-felt impact in the city so that the gospel is not just only in word, but in power, and also through tangible demonstrations of love, service, and transformation in the city. And so um, the coaching that he's doing is um, with the um, hope that we could do the same here in Chicago and beyond. And so, um, Corey, how many people know that, honestly, it's good to have long-term friends? And by, I mean, especially in the kingdom, when you're living by faith, serving by faith, and believing God for great things. And so, Pastor Corey has been a longtime friend, multi-decade actually friend, um, to be and myself as we came from North Carolina together and um, planted the church here in uh, Chicago. He's been praying, believing, serving um, alongside of us, and today has a word for us. So, could you give, with the greatest warmth in your heart, a round of applause for Pastor Corey Vendix. <laughs> It's just an honor to be here. Um, I, I'm al almost in tears just to see what you all are doing in the city um, through humility and faithfulness and a heart just to say yes, it's who you are as a people. And um, you know, my, my heart has bursted for this church for a long time. Uh, I love... Um, I love B and Rollin, and um, he married up. She's like the best. Um, seriously, like way up. And um, and so I, I've we've watched. I've been able to watch them uh, grow and the steps that they have taken to come here. Um, basically by themselves. I mean, with a team, but I mean they have pioneered with with great faithfulness and courage and endurance, they've pioneered this. And to be able to, to um, support this and to have a heart that is expanding in, in love for the city, I just, um, you know, I, I, I really feel like I have a, a calling to serve you. Um, and, you know, all of the things that I've been, we've been able to do in D.C. when it comes to Grace Loves, which is just the outreach arm of our church and kind of our one-liner is we exist to embody grace to meet needs within our city. And um, God's really breathed on that in some pretty unique ways and created resource and um, pretty significant amounts of resource that now I feel responsibility to look at the churches that have uh, like are in a defining moment to make a mark in their cities. And my job is to invest in those locations. And so um, I am behind you guys. Our church loves you. You're not forgotten. You're not dismissed. You're not alone. And if you're new here, lean in. This is a safe place. This is, uh, in, in the midst of a society where you question the character and the, the agenda of churches, you really do. And I'm just telling you, you don't have to question. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to second guess. Um, this is a, I, I wholeheartedly trust the leadership team of this church uh, and am going to be a supporter of, of this church for years to come. Uh, so it's, it's really an honor to be here. 
Um, if you have, have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. Um, as you're tur turning here, uh, I got a big hug from the city of Chicago this morning uh, as I was walking out um, from the car. Black ice. <laughs> Didn't see it. Wasn't expecting it. Got a greeting. Big old hug from Chicago. Coffee goes one way, iPad goes the other. Poor lady walking towards me. Just, I, I'm seriously, I, I went, I was on roller skates, so I, uh, I'm now officially awake. I'm, I'm, God bless Chicago. I love this city. Luke 18, you've been in a, in a uh, really important series walking through the book of Luke, and so I, I'm excited to be able to just uh, parlay with this series and get into the middle of it um, and hopefully unpack some ideas that I think are really applicable to us uh, in this city, but to us in this generation and, and just the society where we find ourselves. Uh, Luke 18, if you can go to verse 18, um, the rich young ruler. Well, in this text, it's the rich ruler. Um, so it's a familiar text, but I want you to read it through an unfamiliar lens. What I mean by that is that you can be so familiar with something that you, um, that you miss what is actually being said. And so I, I just want you to read it, re, just as we're reading through this, have your ears open to what God might, might be saying when it comes to uh, how he wants to apply it to our people or to, to us right now. Uh, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open up your word, allow for our hearts to, to be both strangely warmed and strangely broken for how you want to not just have us be readers of the word, but allow the word to read us. Allow it to read us. And we give it permission to do that right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Have, have you noticed that we live in an airbrushed world? Um, I actually looked online for the uh, top apps for selfies where you can airbrush some things from yourself. This is, what, this is what I found, just a few. Facetune. Apparently, you can remove wrinkles with Facetune. I didn't know that. Uh, skinny pics. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> takes 15 pounds off, apparently. A golden beauty meter. This is a real kicker. Scans your picture and gives you a score. Yes. Uh, beauty Plus. It gets rid of your acne. And then my favorite, Photo Wonder, it promises to make your eyes bigger because uh, what I need as a Bendix with naturally enormous eyes is even bigger eyes. Um, we live in a, in, a, in a Photoshop airbrushed world. And I, out of all of the things that have been airbrushed in our society, nothing has been more airbrushed than the way we understand the histor historical Jesus. Um, when we think about Jesus, we think uh, of him through the following lens. He's synonymous with acceptance, 
Uh, he accepts us for who we are. He's synonymous with love. He loves all people. Um, he's synonymous with success. He wants to help me be successful in whatever I do. He's synonymous with mor morality. Uh, he will help me do the right thing. He's synonymous with judgment. If you do good, you'll get good. If you do not do good, you'll be judged. And the, the concepts and the characteristics of everything that I named is absolutely correct about who Jesus is, but um, the result of the way that we instantly see Jesus through an airbrushed lens is we would rather have Jesus as a life coach over a life giver. We would rather him be a counselor over a champion. And what I love about the book of Luke is that Luke helps us reevaluate who Jesus is. And he does it through this consistent approach where he paints Jesus as a disruptive king. He's disruptive from the very beginning. I mean, even like with, with Mary. He enters into Mary's story and he disrupts her future. He disrupts her, her dreams, her public image, her comfort. Uh, now, now, as a result of what she is going to receive and being the mother of the king of kings, now her income is going to be disrupted. Security is going to be destroyed. I mean, like, like when, we and when we think about Jesus, we think about his, the expectation that he's one who's supposed to give me favor, but favor from God doesn't mean favors from God. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about the coming of Jesus and the disruptive nature of Jesus. He says this, We have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and now lays claim to us. Je Jesus enters in and he disrupts. He, he disrupted the cultural systems of that day. Um, that, you know, you know, you weren't saved by a baby. That's just not how it worked. I mean, if you were going to get to God, you were going to get to God through the systems that the, that the religious culture had created for you. Like, you went to the temple, you went through the priesthood, you went through the sacrificial systems, you went through the redemptive calendar. All these things now enabled for you to get to God. Jesus comes and he disrupts that. He's like, all right, we're done with that. That he disrupts Herod and the kingdom that he was creating I mean, this baby, he posed a threat to Herod to the point that now he is willing to kill all of the babies in that, in that region because of the, the pending potential of a baby who would rule the world. And he was threatened by that. Everything about Jesus disrupts and reorients lives and power structures. It changes. From the very beginning, this is what Luke is doing. I mean, if you just go through the totality of what Luke is writing, I mean, in Luke 5, Jesus is, he, his usage and deployment of deplorables, like tax collectors, like the, that was his foundation. It's not what you did. Or Luke 8, he includes and protects and empowers women in his ministry ventures. 
You didn't do that. You had the, the prayer that a Jew would pray every single morning was, oh God, thank you that I am a man and not a woman. I am a free and not a slave. And I'm Jew and not a Gentile. And guess who Jesus comes after? Like, guess who he includes? Guess who he pursues? Is it everything that you thought that, that, that Jesus would be? He does the opposite. He came to disrupt. He's a disruptive king, a lovingly disruptive king. Please hear, don't hear the words disruptive as he just came to just take a, a gr gr grenade and throw it into the middle of it and go, good luck. No, no, he, he has a, there is a motivation of our king through love, but in that love, he came to disrupt. And in Luke chapter 18, we really find this embodied from start to finish in the chapter. What's interesting is that if you look at Luke 15 to 19, theologians call that the gospel of the outcast. Now, what's also ironic is that guess when Jesus now goes to the cross? Luke 19. So the final acts of his ministry career are now rooted and involved in, and, and it's almost like he signs his name and puts an exclamation point at the end in, in letting everyone know that he came for the outcast. He came to include him. Luke 17, it concludes with a snapshot of what the coming kingdom is going to look like, and then he dives into Luke 18. And, and I, I love Luke 18 because it, you know, some of the questions that you that we all ask, maybe not intentionally, but it's like underneath the surface are questions like, who is the kingdom of God for? How does the kingdom, how, how does this king in regards to Jesus, how does he respond to his followers? What does allegiance to this king, what does it look like? And he answers all of these questions in Luke 18. And one theme that just is replete within the chapter is this is this idea of disruption. And the definition of, of to disrupt is as follows. It's to, in, to interrupt a normal course. If you're thinking about from a business side, it's to successfully challenge established businesses, products, or models by using an innovation to gain a foothold in a marginal or new segment of the market and then fundamentally changing the nature of the market. So what Jesus is doing is he's always entering into our space in order to now change it, not just for changing sake, but change it for his purposes because he wants his glory and our good to meet. And they often meet through the context of disruption. Now, now I, 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 I know that you're thinking, oh, Corey, I, where are you going with this? Like, Are you really saying that God would dare to disrupt me? And my answer is absolutely. That the part of our, the one consistency of our discipleship journey is that we have a loving God who will always enter into our story to disrupt us. To, to pull us to, to, to himself, to, to unveil what he wants for us to do, but often that can't happen without his loving hand to disrupt. And so, so here's, here's just, just a kind of, a, a, as if you haven't got a chance to look through Luke 18, here's a few things that we find that are con consistencies. Like he disrupts the, and blurs the lines of who's in and who's out. Right? So like who's in? You have a widow, a tax collector, 
a, ch- a child, and a blind beggar. And, like, and all of them have undivided attention towards one man. His name is Jesus. Now, who's out? The outsiders in this chapter, it's a judge, a Pharisee, and a ruler. So again, everything about the cultural lines and systems that were created to, to create now a very clear separation between the ins and the outs, Jesus comes and he pushes against that. Jesus, he disrupts structures of power and dominance by replacing them with humility and surrender uh, as preeminent and prioritized attributes in his kingdom. So now what was seen as with power and dominance, those were the, like, the, 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 um, the currency of, of that day. What he does is he comes in and he replaces power with humility. And, and, and I, when I think about the, this whole system that, G, that Jesus is creating called this kingdom of God and what it looks like to live in it, I think of it as something that's fragile. But there's this, I, I recently heard there's an economist philosopher, his name is uh, Nassim Tlaib, and he created this book called Anti-Fragile. And what he says is that, is that it's the idea of how do you build something that not only doesn't break when things get hard, but gets stronger and better. It's, it's, the, it's the idea of like the hydra, that, um, that when, it's, when the heads get cut off, it actually gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's, it's that when it gets damaged, in the damage comes strength. And this is the kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing, and he's now including you and I in it. It's not a fragile kingdom, it's anti-fragile. It, 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 is, it is his commitment to include us and the way by which strength comes, the anti-fragile kingdom being established in our hearts, it's, it's through disruption. Is his loving care to constantly enter into your space and, and help to, to push and to pull, to guide, to direct through disruption. And the best aspect, or I guess in looking at this chapter, everything culminates in the story of the rich ruler. This is, this is where it all kind of uh, it, it, it heightens. What we, there's a few kind of observations that we can make about his life. Um, he was a man that was full. Uh, he was full of power and resource. He was a man that was full of religious systems and rhythms. Um, I mean, he has a history. You know, he knows, he knows the language. He, he's been around the block. He knows what is required of him. He, he's, he, he's, he's a man that's, that's full of himself. He has a kingdom of one. His life is built for him. And he's there to try to get Jesus to give him his stamp and seal. And so here, here this, 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 this man, he's self-defined. He's entitled. He's got power. He's got religious speak. He's, he's probably an a, a on, ongoing Christian in the American culture. He's been around church. And yet here he comes to Jesus and he has this beginnings of a dialogue. Now, I love what Jeff Cook says. This is just a a quote. The more I make my life, my well-being, my enlightenment, my success primary, 
the farther I step from reality. Thus, the hell-bound do not travel downward, they travel cocooning, they travel inward, cocooning themselves behind a mass of vanity, personal rights, religiosity, and defensiveness. Obsession with self is the defining mark of a disintegrating soul. So, so here, here this, this, this religious man with power, he's cocooning himself going inward, and he's trying to get Jesus to support him in that process. I mean, he's, he's a man adrift. And then, and then you have this contrast of two rulers coming and colliding together. One ruler who has, again, a kingdom of, that is built on him. And then you have a face-off of a king, of a ruler, whose sole existence is he empties himself of all power, of all glory, of all authority in order to now pursue the image of God in this man. Like, he, like you, have, you have one who is now resolved about looking and peering up to, to his own needs, and you have another ruler who's, who is emptying himself of his own needs so that he can give himself away to others. You, you have this, you have a collision. And, and with Jesus, I, I love the, the Mark v- version of the story. It said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him, and then he loved him. That, that so often, I, I need you to hear this, that God's disruptions for our life are rooted in love. His care for you. His commitment to the image of God in you. And his commitment to, by whatever means necessary, often the long enduring journey of being patient with you but but now beckoning you to enter into this journey of becoming more and more and more and more like him it's just called sanctification it's the process of becoming more like the king and so here in this whole journey of 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 jesus trying to to get this guy to see the creator like to, to see himself through the lens of the creator. What's amazing about religion, often people think that religion is now, it's a means by which it, it pushes people down and controls them. But what we're going to find is that in this man's sense and case, religion was something that he used to control and manipulate God. That, that, what, that what, what you have is that, I mean, this is, this is what Jesus says. He says, one thing you lack. Now, what we have just found is that this man has listed out a whole collection of things that he's been doing. He's been following the Ten Commandments. He's been doing it. He knows what to say, and he knows what to do, and he's been doing it to the T. And what does Jesus do? How does Jesus disrupt him? He disrupts his religious dynamics. He, he, he pulls the plug. Everything that you think religion is, let me just tell you, it's the opposite. He pulls the plug. That I think for many of us, when we think about religion, when we think about religion, we think of it through the lens of do good to get good. It's just like a Christian version of karma. As long as I do really, really good, then that now puts me in this position of power that God has to return that. I mean, like, let's just be honest. Like, when we think about religion, we think, if I tithe, God's supposed to give, like, he's supposed to hook it up. If I'm sexually pure, 
then God's going to give me this hunk of a man or a beautiful woman. Like, if, like this is be honest here. Like, like we, when we think about religion, we think about, I will fill certain guidelines, and when I do that, guess what's going to happen? God is now bound to now follow through and give me what I, what I feel like is due. If I have integrity on the job, I'll get a raise. If, if, I, if, if I am stewarding my resources right, God is like, he becomes like a bona fide financial planner. Or we, we relegate God to sex therapist or political advisor. Now, I, recently, I got a chance to um, take my family to an escape room. I've got a family of six. I don't know what I was thinking. So we, we, uh, we pay the $5,000 to get to a, an escape room, <laughs> finally get there, and they, like, this is the one racket that you pay them to trap you in a room. And they're like, good luck. See you in an hour. And, and, you're, and uh, like, the promise of, of, like, somebody who's watching us, <laughs> creepy, the entire time, and like, oh, please, great master, can you give us a clue, right? Um, like, the whole point of a, of, of an escape room is the only way out is to follow the formula. You do the formula, you, you walk through, you, you unlock the locks, you do what you got to do, and as a result of following the formula that they give you, you'll get out. That's what religion is. This is what this man is trapped in. And, and yet, in an escape room, the hope is getting out for freedom. The purpose of religious like this escape room of religion is getting out is now I've got God, and he's got to hook it up. It's, tra- it's transactional at best. And this is what this man, this, and with Jesus, he enters in, and he begins, he just simply says, one thing that you lack. And I, have, you been, have you been in a space where you feel like God has, has now readjusted your understanding of what religion even is? And often we, we think that that's doubt or we feel like that's a bad thing. I, man, the greatest seasons in my life is when the Spirit of God has used people to come around my life and ask me the hard questions about what I believe. And, and guess what? That's just the loving God who is lovingly pursuing you in order that he in his own grace might disrupt your understanding of religion. One thing you lack and then he keeps going. He says, sell everything. And we're like, man, like, really, Jesus? Like, that's a little bit much. I mean, is it socialist? Is this socialism here? I mean, like, like, what are we talking about here? Like, what are you trying to do when it comes to, you, you like, go after the one thing that this guy has? Isn't that a little much? I don't know if it is. Here's a man, he has full hands. He's got no space for Jesus. And, and Jesus, in his, in his loving grace, he's just trying to empty his hands to give him what only Jesus can give him and what he was made for. Peter Kreeft says this, if we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. If we come with full hands, he finds no place to put himself. It is our beggary, our receptivity, that is our hope. And here you have Jesus. His goal 
is this man's surrender. It's, it's like, and when you think about s- s- surrender, like a, one of the many meanings of the word is to give over or to return that which truly belongs to another. This is what this, like Jesus' heart towards this man is, is built on compassion, built on a commitment for him, loving him to the point that he now asks him to give up the one thing that he's full of. Why? So that he could give him something better. Reminds me of the... Um, it just in thinking through this, and even to, because I, I, I know in my own heart, like this preaches easy and lives hard. If we're really honest, to say, oh, Corey, he, he's just simply, like Jesus is entering into this man's heart or his, his life, and he's asking for the most valuable thing in order that Jesus might give him something better. Hurrah. And I think about that in my own life and thinking it through the lens of, like, what if that man were me? And some things that are really important. And the wrestling match. And the questions. And one of the questions is, God, why, why are you doing this? Like, what is the ultimate goal? And I think that is a question that can be answered through the analogy of a trapeze. If you've ever seen tr- the trapeze experience, it's a really fascinating um, encounter that has a couple of, of players that are in the mix. One is the person who's hanging on for dear life. Another is the person that catches. But then you've got a third party. The third party is on the ground. And it is, it is the, 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 the person who's the instructor, who, is, who understands and has a finger on the pulse of the whole story. They see it all. And now um, all of the, the, the pieces in the air are listening for the voice of the instructor. And so as they're swinging, 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 as soon as the instructor says, go, the one who's holding on lets go. The one who's catching now is, is it instantly is, is included in the journey of holding on tight to the one who's entrusting them fully to that individual. But the only way for that to even occur is the instructor who's on the ground saying, go. Guess what Jesus is? He's the instructor on the ground to this rich ruler, and he's saying, let go. The only way, the only way for you to get what you were truly made for is for you to let go what you've been collecting, been finding your identity. And what is that for you? What, what is that? What is that? Like, like, I've been wrestling with this text all week long. What is that for me? Because if I'm honest, there's some things that I feel like God is putting his pressure, his hand on my heart when it comes to disrupting me, and he's asking me to, like that individual, swinging in the, in the air, let go. Let go. And, and, and in, inside of all of us, we go, but I don't want to. Or can I really trust you? Or is, am I going to get caught? Is the person going to catch me when I do? And you might be asking, well, Corey, what, what allows for Jesus to have the authority to even ask this man to let go. What's the very next text? In the Luke 18 story, guess what happens like right after, if you just turn over your Bible, it says Jesus foretells his death 
a third time. This is what Jesus says about himself. He says, for he, speaking about himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Guess what Jesus is saying to this man? You can let go because guess who else will let go? Himself. He will climb up on a tree and he'll let go and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And into your hands I commit myself. He'll, he'll let go. That the only way that Jesus can look at you and I and say, you know what, I love you enough to disrupt where you are is because I'm the one that's leading. I'm the one that's the instructor on the ground. I see it all and I've been there. And guess what? I did it and I want to empower you to let go in the same way that I did. Jesus wants to disrupt the worlds that we have created that are built around ourselves. And St. Ignatius of Loyola says it best. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Let me say that again, because that just hit your head and bounced off. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. I mean, with Jesus, he's not asking for this rich ruler to now surrender to a chaotic force or a blind chance. He's asking him to surrender to love. And then what is, what is when it comes to Jesus, I mean, like, just, just remember, he left the throne of splendor for the womb of, of, of an unwed teenage girl. He left the comfort of heaven for the mess of the stable. He left, he let go of the applause of the heavenly host for the obscurity of the carpenter shop. He released, he left, he emptied himself of the adoration of the angels for the insults of the crowd. He left the glory of eternity for the shame of the cross. You can trust the one man who has now emptied himself and let go so that you can be empowered to do the same thing. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. But what motivates it all is love. It's God's commitment to the image of God in you. He put it there himself, and now he wants, he is, he's proven to you time and again that he's willing to join you in the journey of empowering you to live a life of letting go. And then he ends the story with this. He says, follow me. He says, he says, give up, sell everything. And he says, come and follow me. He says that the, oh, the, the one thing that you are made for, it's union with myself. And the only way for you to attain it is for you to trade one for another. It, it, it um, to, to think about this idea of following Jesus and what are we following him into, I, I, um, I, I did a little research on a woman from 1951 called Henrietta Lacks. You're probably familiar with her. Her initials, H-E-L-A. She, uh, 
She, she was born in 1931, died in 51, had four kids. And she died of, an, of ovarian cancer in Baltimore. And what the, the doctors, what they discovered about her, and there's, there's, um, this is a story of, of, of amazement. It's, it's, it's also a disturbing story because it was an African-American mom who um, wasn't extended the same type of support and doctoral care that a white person was. As a result, she was somewhat dismissed and she, and she died. At the, at the end of her story, they began to do some discovery of her body. And they realized that her cells, they turned out to have an extraordinary capacity to survive and reproduce. They were, in essence, immortal. So as a result of her immortalized cell line, doctors have used her cells to now do research for, for when it comes to polio. They, had, they now have a cure as a result of her. Cancer, immunology, infectious diseases, even the hope of a COVID-19 vaccination came from her. And while she died, her cells would live, producing life. What do you have in Jesus? You have one man who is, if you'll allow me to, a better version of Henrietta Lacks. Man who was lived and despised and discounted, and yet extended himself through death, something that seemed like the victory is gone. He lost, but in the, the fragile moment of now his life being destroyed, it creates an anti-fragile conclusion. Like his life becomes now the only way to find life is through him. And now through him comes this hope of, of now finding peace in a very disruptive world comes through him. Like the hope of forgiveness and the ability to forgive those around us comes, comes through him. And, and all of the, the, the realities that we live in, that we ask the questions, where is God? Or how am I supposed to survive this? Or man, how do I actually treat people in certain ways when they look at me and they dismiss me because of something that I bring to the table? And all of these facts, these, these, these deep hurts and pains that the human reality lives with on a day-to-day-to-day basis, you have in Jesus Christ the only one who now has become our victory and turns back to us and says, follow me. Follow me. And this is that in one man who came to disrupt sin, death, and the grave, now through his disruptive nature and a disruptive victory, he holds out a victory to you and to this man and says, come and follow me. And guess what happens with this man? I mean, like you, you, would, you would think that he would say absolutely, but guess what? He says no. That the value of money was greater than the value of Jesus. And his, his journey stopped. The value of what he saw in front of him, it just it had his heart too tightly. But what's, what's amazing is that just in a couple of verses, you'll have another rich man. His name is Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Luke. And you have a rich ruler who's desperate, who's asking questions, and you have Jesus 
comes to this man. His, his name's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus means the just, the righteous, and the pure one. And everything about Zacchaeus, if you know anything about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was the opposite of his name. He was a tax collector and he did nothing. He was a Bernie Madoff. Just like all he did was he collected ways to now distort and to steal. And in the midst of, of his deception and in the midst of him, his inability to be his name, here comes Jesus. And he comes to a sycamore tree. And he looks up at this man, Zacchaeus. And he says, come follow me. The same words that he said to the rich young ruler. And what you have in one man, you have the complete contrast in Zacchaeus. Is that, that, that with, with Zacchaeus, he was, he was happy for his life to be disruptive. He was, he was waiting. Jesus, I've been waiting for you all day long for you to come and to disrupt me. And he says, calm down. I want to go eat at your house. I'm going to do it right now. And Zacchaeus comes down a tree. Well, guess what? He comes down a tree, and this is the last ministry moment of Jesus before he goes to the cross, the cross where Jesus will climb a tree. You have this great exchange. Zacchaeus is coming down from a tree to life. Jesus is about to go climb a tree, and, and now it will end in death. Why? So that this man will have a disrupted life to live a disruptive life. Guess what Zacchaeus does? For the rest of his life, he just goes around and he gives away all of the things that he's stolen. And historians have told us that Zacchaeus ends up becoming the bishop of Caesarea. That was kind of a big deal in the church world, that to be the bishop meant to be the pastor of, of a region. Zacchaeus becomes who he's been designed to be because you have a king who, before he goes to the cross, he ends his ministry by disrupting a man who's made to live. But the only way to live is, is to be disrupted. Church, I, I am, we, we, we live in a world where we numb ourselves so people don't disrupt us. It, like, I mean, we, we turn, we silence people if they're disrupting us. We change churches when they disrupt us. We, are, we, curate, we have a curated life of feeds that now when we start feeling disrupted, we change everything so that we can be comfortable, at ease, and numb because we don't like disruptions. And everything about who Jesus is, he comes, and he's coming even now in a loving way going, hey, I don't want you to settle. Come and follow me. And as I was studying, I, I just had a few just a, a few questions that I asked myself that I thought I would bring you into my journey. Will God be a formula I follow or a father I trust? Will I allow for God's love to disrupt me from the cocoon of self into a life filled with the, with the rhythm of release? Let's pray. God, I, I can't, this is a heavy, this is not an easy word to try to understand and to decipher. And yet, I just feel like this is, a, is so on time for so many of us. I know it is for me. And so, Lord Jesus, will you grace us with your presence to help us to hear this well? God, will you soften our hearts? 
If you're, if you're here and you're at, at a point where you feel like God's putting his finger on some areas in, in your life that you know that he's, he's just inviting you into disruption. <laughs> could be a relationship. could be just a sin pattern. It could be just lethargy and laziness. Just, but, but you just sense like the Spirit of God is just beginning to unveil an area that he wants to enter into the journey with you, the messiness of it. The messiness of it. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's complicated. And yet you have an, a complicated Savior who is, his, he's, exists for the complications. He wants to enter into the complications. He wants to offer the power and the beauty and the victory of, the, of Jesus to the work of the Holy Spirit to, to help you say yes in a moments like this. If that's you, you just sense that God's he's just unveiling some things and it's time for you to follow him into the unveiling. If that's you, can you raise your hands? I just would love to pray for you. Good. Great. Yeah. That's, that's so courageous. It's fantastic. Lord, you see these hands. You see them. You know the stories. You, you're aware of the pain and the trauma. Some of us, we have we worked so hard to numb ourselves because of the trauma that we've been through. Some of us have na na navigated religious trauma where pastors and people of faith have taken advantage of you. I just, on behalf of, of, of the church, I just repent for that. I'm sorry that you navigated that. For, for some of us, we've navigated racial discrimination, just racial tension, accusations. On, on behalf of just as, as, a, as a, a person who loves Jesus but is in, feels a commitment to repentance, I just want to repent, take responsibility for some of the ways in which many of you have been marginalized and accused, hurt, have been attacked. God, you see all of the places of pain. You see the journeys, and God, you, you are inviting us to follow you into the pain. We thank you for your disruption, your disruptive heart. It does is, is, is the heart of a father that enters into this journey to bring us to the image of Jesus you've created for us to have. But we love you and say yes to you. In your name we pray. Amen.